morning, Rock Harbor. Good to see you this morning. Page 36 in our study guides. Spiritual forces in high places. The title pretty well gives it away <laughs> as to, to what's going to be uh, discussed uh, this morning. Central truth is that God is supreme over all spiritual forces. I think one of the things that, and I'll say this, and I think this will lay a, a proper groundwork before we really get into this, is that the central truth is saying here, when it says God is supreme over all spiritual forces, I don't think anybody disagrees with that. I don't think anybody that's in, in the God realm, saved, doesn't understand that God is over all spiritual forces. Amen. What is hard for the church to understand is that they have been given the same authority. Amen, come on. That's what's hard for people to understand. Everybody is okay with saying, okay, yes, God is over spiritual forces. Some people even think it's disrespectful or a bit um, uh, sacrilegious to say we've been given the same authority um, that God has. And everybody's like, no, you can't say that. Actually, it's biblical. When, and we've been raised up into heavenly places with him, and because we have been raised up in those heavenly places, the church, the head, the head is Christ, right? And, and the body is us, right? And it says that we are connected. We are connected together. All of the authority that was given to Christ because of what he done on the cross, not just what he did on the cross, but was resurrected from the grave, right? That's what we all get excited about. A lot of the church is still confused about what came with that package. They're, they're confused about what actually happened at that moment and that the authority that was given to Christ was then given to the church through Pentecost. Now we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's that power, right? How did, how did you think about, think about this for just a minute. Christ had to be, uh, had to go through the wilderness uh, endued with power from up on high. He was, uh, he, he was given this power of the Holy Ghost, and the, and the Bible says that the Holy Ghost led him into the wilderness. You remember that? Amen. And that's what a lot of people are like. Okay, what are you trying to say? The, the Holy Ghost was, was directly connected to everything that he did, not just what he did, but to his power. Did you notice that his ministry actually didn't begin until he got the Holy Ghost? Amen. So if you, if, if you connect those things, and you start to look at it, you look at the power that he operated in. Well, then... Who now has access to the Holy Ghost? All of us. Amen. And so, I'm saying that because the 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 church the church has a um, some of the church is confused about this, and I'll explain a little bit more as we go through. But I see this mentality, and it's not just in our it's not just in our our world, but believe it or not, there's a bit of a, a of a spiritual victimhood, even in the church. It's where we're, it's like we're always a victim, you know. You know, you see, you see it in our world. They people are victim, you know. They, they have the, you ever heard of that victim mentality before? Somebody has a victim mentality? It's like everybody's against them. Every, you know, it's their fault that they don't have a job. It's their fault that they don't have money. It's, their, it's, always, it's a victim mentality. And if you're not careful, people will actually use that in the spiritual realm also. We'll play the victim. It's like, you know, I'm just a, target for the devil he just whipping me from one end to the other 
He's been hitting me with left punches and right punches. Victim mentality. But it's in the spiritual realm. And if you're not careful, you'll adopt a victim mentality that we're just kind of along for the ride. And we just hope, fingers crossed, that God somehow will get us out of it when it's all said and done. Uh-huh. This is what we're talking about this morning. Is that there are things that have been passed on to you, that have been given to you, that you have rights to in the spiritual realm. You have rights to them. It's a lot like uh, air or having airship to something that has been willed or given to you. Once that will has been given and the passing of that individual is done, by right in that will is has been legally, the legal, uh, legal documentation of things that have been passed on to another individual. You have been legally given in the spirit realm authority. Now, I'm not going to get all into the whole facets of, of spiritual warfare because there are a lot of them. Not just, not just binding up the enemy. That's, that's, that's only one small facet of it. And I think, and you know, when you start talking about spiritual forces in high places, the first thing people think about, especially in Pentecostal realm, is, you know, we're talking about binding the enemy up, rebuking him. Okay, that's one, just one facet of it. But that's not all facets of it. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about spiritual warfare. And would you, could we agree this morning that really, if there is a time to be exercising or learning about spiritual warfare, it's now? Yeah. It really is. It really is. And this is a very deep topic. And I, we're obviously not going to get through all, all the facets of it. Um, but it's a definitely a topic that we need to steep ourselves in um, as Christians. All right. Uh, the key verse is Daniel 10.4. Now that I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days, or the vision is uh, yet to come. Let's get started. Spiritual warfare is a very real issue, even as many Christians are unaware of the battles that surround them. This lesson excuse me, begins our unit with a study of Daniel, who was visited by an angel who gave him a vision of a great spiritual battle. We can learn much from Daniel's experience. All right, um, on that note, the, the Bible says in James 1, and I actually wrote this down. I wanted us to, to, to hear this. It says, let every man be uh, swift to hear and slow to speak. You know the scripture? Amen. Swift to hear, slow to speak. Now, why would I bring that up? Because if you want to learn, you're going to have to read and listen to other people's experiences. That's the way you do it. Mm-hmm. The, this idea that you can get through without learning is ridiculous. You have to learn. And most of the time, we learn from other people's experiences. Um, we, we definitely live in a society where we talk entirely too much. And I mean that on a, I mean that as like a, a that's a blanket statement. I kind of mean that over, overall. There's not a lot of people listening. Does that make sense? They're not listening to the things that we need to hear in order to garner more knowledge, and I'm talking about the spiritual sense, that we can move forward. I mean, how else, how else do we do that um, than obviously to read the Word? We glean from what the Bible says, right? The Bible is full of individuals and their experiences, right? I'm not just talking about the people that surround you, the first thing that you do is you glean from the experiences of God's word and the people that went through them. We're going to be talking about Daniel. We're going to be talking about his experiences, but not just that. 
but gleaning experiences from the people around you. Looking at what they've experienced, listening to what they have to say, and then applying some of that knowledge to your own life. I, and I've, I've, I've done this in, in a lot of different ways and angles and stuff. Um, I like to listen to what other people say, and I like to ask questions, and sometimes it's almost even a little, I've been a little bit intrusive. And it's because I want to know what you know. How'd you get through that? What did you do? What, how, did you, how did you develop a relationship with the Lord like that? How did, what, what did you do? And I'm not looking for a formula, but I want to know what you did. I want to know how you got there. Something was done. It's, a, it's why I like some of the men and women of old. I want to know how they did it. How'd you do that? How, how did You were just a person just like me. How did you get that close to the Lord? I want to know how you did it. But now if we got if we got a closed minded, let's just say let's just look at it like this. What if we're closed minded? Let's just say we're not open to experiences. I don't really care what you went through, Sean. I'm walking my own path. And Sean's he testifies and tells about what the Lord's been doing in his life. He talks about the path that he's went through, talks about how God rescued him. Man, I'm closing deaf ear to that. I ain't got I ain't hearing that. I got my own walk. You close your mind to experiences and you're gonna miss out on some good teaching. Amen. Close our mind to what other people have been through. And what you say, well, God got them through. I get that. But you and I both know there's something, there's other wheels that turn, especially in spiritual warfare. And I'm not looking for like a, the magic, you know, never be looking for like the magic thing that just you plug it in. You're like, oh, I figured it out. I found the, the, the trump card, so to speak, that's going to get me over the hump. No, we are just garnering knowledge that assists us in our furtherment. I want to know what you've been through because you, you might have already blazed the trail that I'm in the beginning stages of. And if that's the case, I want to know what you know. You didn't finish that scripture. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you, didn't, you left out the end of it there. You said, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and then twenty it says because the anger of man does not move the righteousness of God. Right. I was just quoting that yesterday because I've been quite angry here lately. Sure. Still, just with the situations and stuff with our family and the stuff we're dealing with right now, Lord's putting His finger on something, and my flesh is getting squishy, mm-hmm. and I don't know what to do. Get past it right now. Besides to lean into the Lord, and mm-hmm. battle's getting tough. And sure. So. so so we're we're gleaning from experiences. We're gleaning from experiences, and so I'm not going to get real deep into that. That I'm going to lay that out there, and then and let's uh, let's keep moving. Daniel 10 begins a passage that records the final of four visions that describe events leading up to the coming of Christ in the end times. These visions record the future with such accuracy that theologians who deny divine inspiration of Scripture insist that Daniel was written centuries after its actual date because they cannot believe how. Uh, he could have been this accurate. Well, the Lord is always accurate, right? If it's, if, if it's of the Lord, it'll be accurate. That's all there is to say. In this vision, Daniel is told of a severe spiritual battle. Amid this struggle, we are reminded of the nature and character of Satan in the demonic realm. Yes, absolutely. I, um, oh, what was it? I read a book. It was um, The Final Quest by Rick Joyner. 
I read this thing back when I got out of high school. I mean, like, right after I got out of high school. And it's kind of funny because um, it was back when we were, I had just gotten, I had never had what was called vacation time in my whole life. And I was just young. And they'd give me my first allotment of vacation time. Well, I took every last day of it, <laughs> right when I got it. And I spent my time reading this book, The, uh, the Final Quest by Rick Joyner. So this guy had had a vision. And he said, this is back in the 90s. He said, I've had, the, the Lord gave me a vision, and I'm just condensing this, that there was these armies, and they were about to be unleashed on our countries and upon the world, like armies of demonic forces. And they were marching, marching. And you could see all the battalions and the infantries, and you could see all these, all these uh, this strategy marching forth. And he said, they were so evil... <clears throat> that they would even get mad and turn on each other and they would start beating each other up. And he said, every, every, I guess you'd call it platoon, every platoon had a leader and the leader would start barking commands and they would get back in line again. So they were so evil, they would kill each other if they didn't have leadership to focus their anger in the right direction, which I thought was really interesting. But anyway, they were marching. Well, now we're here in 2022. You believe that there might've been some truth to those armies marching upon our nations and upon the world? I believe Amen. that to be true. I'm actually kind of glad I read that book. Yeah. I was gleaning some information. <laughs> so um, there is this, um, we, we are reminded, this uh, lesson says, um, amid the struggle, we are reminded of the nature and the character of Satan and the demonic realm. Well, in this, this context, uh, I'm just going to say it like this without giving too much away so we can actually go through the lesson, is that his, uh, his character is to always stop or hinder the plan of God. Always. That's from the individual level, as, as you as a person, all the way up to um, your, your towns and your cities. This is why there are strongholds over towns and cities, spiritual strongholds, that have to be broken because of the content of what's going on in that place. Example, Sodom and Gomorrah. Can we use that as an example? What was the content of that place? Uh, homosexuality, um, just about all form of sloth that you could you could uh, you could imagine. Sin running rampant, and what did God do to the place? Just completely destroyed it. So we see here in in this example, in the scripture base, the character of the enemy, but we also see the character of God, and that God does answer prayer, and you'll see this here in a minute. But the enemy is going to try to hinder it. Remember that. That's a part of your that's a part of spiritual warfare, is that the enemy is going to try to hinder in some way, shape, form, or fashion. He's going to try to hinder. And so what does that mean? Well, I'm going to say this: that some of the biggest parts of spiritual warfare are not binding and rebuking. That may be controversial, but let me just let me finish. Some of the biggest parts of spiritual warfare are not binding and rebuking. Some of the biggest parts of spiritual warfare and being successful is just being consistent in prayer. That's it. Just being consistent in prayer and being able to move from day to day and advance spiritually in your own life. Many times we hinge spiritual victories upon if we see what we've been asking for. 
And I think that's probably one of the biggest hinge points in Christianity today is that we're convinced we have not gotten the victory until we can actually see it. And if that's the case, we're not operating in faith. Amen. That's, and if you'll consider this, I, and, I, and I'm telling you this morning in, from, my, from my own experiences, it took me a long time to finally realize that it was okay to move on with life, even though I felt like I had things that were trying to drag me back. It was okay to advance spiritually. It was okay to, quote unquote, let it go and just proceed with life. Because I had allowed myself to do it. I wanted to see it in the physical manifest, and I wasn't going to let go of the situation until I had seen it. And the Lord showed that to me. He revealed it to me. He said, you're, you're not operating. I can't, I can't do anything for you because you're determined to stay in one spot. Determined to stay right in this location until you get what you are saying that you want. Faith says, I've got it. Now let's keep moving. Faith says, I've got it. Let's keep moving. One of the greatest revelations I ever got on a personal level, and it may not be that great to you, but it was to me, was the Lord had presented a question to me. He said, if you wasn't dealing with this problem, what would you be doing? That's the question. If you wasn't dealing with this problem, what would you be doing? I said, well, I would do this, and I would do this. I would do all these things for you. And he goes, faith says that you've already got it, and that's what you need to be doing right now. And I was like, oh, that was devastating to me. Actually, that question, that conversation that happened between him, that was all within about a 24-hour span. took me a bit of time to ask that question and then to get the answer for it. Spiritual warfare, spiritual battles, consistent in prayer, being consistent people, pushing on, pressing forward, advancement, advancement in the kingdom. It's like, you know, once you break the stronghold of the enemy, and I'm talking about from a war perspective, once you break the stronghold of the enemy, what do you do? Do you advance or do you just stay around in the same location, still picking up and messing around with that stuff? No, you advance. Why? Because you got to keep him on his heels. Amen. You push forward, advance, go forward. <laughs> um, what was what's the? Uh, I'm trying to think of the word. Hold on a second. I had it wrote up on my dry erase board for years and years. Um, it wasn't onward. It may have been advance. I had a question. I was asking the Lord. I was like, "What do you want me to do?" I don't understand. I was in a place in my life where I was confused. I was confused about this very thing. And I was trying to figure out, I said, I've got all these things that are hanging on me. And i got a family to take care of. And I don't, I don't understand what I am supposed to do. Anybody ever, you ever asked the Lord that question before? Yeah. And literally, it was like a charge. He said, charge. i seen this arrow pointing. Charge. Go forward. Stop staying in the same spot. Go forward. And so... In order to do that, though, you have to understand some fundamentals about spiritual warfare and not get hung up on things that you have been praying about or things that you have been desiring of the Lord. There are certain things that have to come into play. I call these spiritual fundamentals. Spiritual fundamentals. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. Spiritual fundamentals. If you'll, you'll lean on these things of the Lord and you continue to move forward. Okay. 
Uh, we also gain a sense of the uh, kinds of unseen struggles taking place as we seek victory over satanic forces. Um, we must understand the nature of the battle with forces of darkness. In gaining this understanding, we are reminded that while the battle is very real, God will bring the victory for he is supreme over all spiritual forces. All right, so the first, the first contextual thing that I want to make sure that we understand as a church is that when Christ did what he did on the cross, all victory was given. Amen. All victory was given. Now, this is the way I want to put this. I'll make sure you understand this. This is that kind of that crooks that a lot of people get into. They're like, but I hope the Lord does it. Hold on a second. No. What does his word say? And if his word says that it's done, is it done? Amen. Think about it. If his word says it's done, and if the, what he did at the cross truly is something that's complete, then why are we only believing halfway? Uh-huh. Come on. And why are we allowing the enemy leverage to come in and then shed doubt? Because that's exactly what happens. When we don't fully know what God's word says that we can have, the next thing that the enemy is going to do in his spiritual warfare against you is to begin to toss you little dimes, of uh, little morsels to pick up and to eat on of doubt. Because he knows that his number one job is to reconvince you of what thus saith the Lord. He has to reconvince you of that. And once, if he can put you somewhere in between, well, I believe God, but now here we are at a halfway point. Mm -hmm. Come on. Here we are at a halfway point. And that's a struggle for a lot of, of the church because they're like, well, <clears throat> I hope it works, and I hope that God brings me victory. Mm -mm. No, everything was already done on the cross. Everything was done. It's a completed work. Now, with that said, if there's anything going on, it's going to be an incomplete faith on my part. We all understand that? That's an incomplete faith on my part. means that I am... I am, I'm not believing God at what he says. I'm leaving it to chance or the enemy has come in. He's given me some, some things and I have taken them and has caused me to doubt. And now I don't fully believe God will do what he says that he will do. So you have to check yourself on these things. I'm just saying this. These are things that we need to check ourselves on to make sure that we're in full faith. To make sure that we believe. Now, I'm not talking about mental ascent. I'm not talking about something you just think. I'm talking about something you believe in here in your heart. Because that's what God is gauging this by. This is this is the this is the stuff that to me, as to why miracles and why things have not happened or why these things is because there is so much doubt and there is there's so much unraveling that has to be done. It's something only the Holy Spirit can do. But uh, the I've talked to this uh, with Nathan and, and Lath and, and Sean and some of these other ones. That's the common denominator that I would see, or at least one of them. In some of the old revivals and the old uh, uh, men and women of faith, and they didn't press any special button. They just believed. They just wholeheartedly believed it was going to take place. The people that were there believed it was going to take place. Therefore, it happened. Amen. And that was it. And so take that. Think about this. I'll say this and we'll keep going because I love this topic. Take... Um, Let's, let's take it down to the family. 
what is really our nation kind of founded upon? It's founded upon the fundamentals and the working function of the family. Now, take, um, let's just use the spouse, husband and the wife, okay? If the husband and the wife both have like faith, you've got two, right? You've got two. Now we've got something that's powerful, not easily broken, something that's strong. Then that permeates to the children. Now you have a family that's walking after God and in the example of God. That plays a part in society, in our communities, like faith. Faith coming together that is in agreement of what God can, can and will do. Starts with something as simple as that. Then you take that family and that family and that family and that family and you bring them into the church. You bring them into one place and now you have combined faiths. We call that group faith. Group faith. Now we are that much stronger in our faith because now we have all these like faiths. But see, the problem is, is why don't we see why don't we see things at this at this moment? Why don't we see God doing this? Why don't we see God doing that? Because there are so many different diversifications now. There are some that are in incomplete faith. There's some that are in half faith. There's some that are in full faith. There's some that are still trying to uh, to, to bring up uh, that that are new and that are just now learning. You've got all these diversifications, and not everybody is on the same page of faith anymore. It's different. That's not a knock against anyone. I'm simply saying that this is where we're at because faith is what moves God. Faith. Not not halfway faith, complete faith. Full faith. The kind of faith that believes. Not not. You know, we don't have to... L listen to me about this. You don't have to believe... You say, well, I do I, uh, do I believe in miracles? Well, if we come down to the point where we're having to actually call out individual topics and decide whether we believe on them or not, we just need to go back and ask ourselves, do we believe in the living God and what he's capable of doing? Yeah. And when everything else falls into place, it's like, you know, we've it's a, it's kind of come down to this point now where people are like, well, I believe in this, but I don't believe in, I don't really believe in miracles. It's like, come on. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And if the Bible says it, then we believe it, and then we see God work. There's too many. We've opinionated it, right? That's what's happened. The church has opinionated God's word, and it's corrupted that because of that. It's weakened the effect of God's word. It's weakened it. Well, if we're doing that, we need to always remember that God loves us. Absolutely. That's he a, loved yeah, us so That's much. good. Absolutely. That he gave his only son go to the cross and die for our sins. Mm -hmm. And Thank if you, we Jesus. believe he loved us, then we can ask anything and he'll do it. And he'll do it for us. That's right. And there's no, there's no in-between. That's good, Jim. Okay. I got on my, my spiritual rant. Let's go <laughs> it ahead. It don't matter how little. It don't matter how little. You're how right. How big it is. Mm -mm. That's good. It's kind of like when that dollar, that dollar boat across that road. Yeah, right. And I'll get you hundred. God just, just I, you could call it prayer or you just call it saying something. Right. I said, God, I'm thirsty. I'm, you know. Right. I'd like to have a Pepsi. That's good. And yeah. that dollar blew across the road, and I stopped and got it. Went and got the Pepsi. And I, and I, I got thinking about it after I drank that Pepsi. God loves me that much. Yes, He does. You know, just to even care if I, if I'm thirsty. Now you got me wanting a Pepsi, Jim. You shouldn't be talking <laughs> about that. <laughs> All right, let's read some scripture. Page thirty-seven. Sean, if you would, sir. <clears throat> Daniel 
In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither uh, came flesh nor wine into my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Then I lifted up mine eyes, I looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of <coughs> upas? Yeah, 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 that's fine. Uh, his body was also like great real real thank you and his face as the appearance of lightning and his eyes as lamps of fire and his arms and his feet in the color to polished brass and the voice of his words like the voice of multitude a multitude therefore i was left alone i saw this great vision and there remained no strength in me for my comeliness was turned into me into corruption into corruption i and i retained no strength yet heard i the voice of his words and when i heard the voice of his words then i in a i then was i in a deep sleep on my face and my face toward the ground and behold and and touched a hand touched me which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. trembling. Then said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people, in the later days, latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground and became dumb. Then he, then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia? And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Gaisia shall come, but I will slew thee, shew thee, which that which is noted, noted noted in the scripture for the truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael your prince. Okay, thank you, sir. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Okay, Daniel's vision in part one, Daniel ten one begins with the time frame for the vision Daniel was about to receive. As the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia was approximately 536 B.C. Much of what Daniel prophesied gave specific details of things that had not happened yet. Writing from Babylon during the Babylonian exile of Judah, Daniel lived in a place of great spiritual challenge. Okay, so, you live in a place of great spiritual challenge? <laughs> We're... We live in, we live in a in a society, and this has been spoken in God's word. I mean, you think look at God's word. That was two thousand years ago. 
the, the words still reign true. We are in a, you are constantly in a place where you're battling your society and you're battling yourself. Constantly having to put yourself in discipline, constantly have to push yourself against everything that's going on. Um, were we, were we captives in, are we captives in another land? No. <laughs> that's good. That's a good thing. Um, but I think, I think what's even worse is being captive in your own land. I can go way into that, but I'm not going to. But consider the spiritual challenge that is before you and I. Consider this. Consider the challenge that's in front of us. I, I'm off. How do I say this? I want to say this, and I don't want it to sound wrong. And I don't want you to take me the wrong way. I want the Lord to return. Yes, absolutely. We should all be desirous for the Lord's return. But at the same time, I don't want us to look at the Lord's return as a, uh, as a, a scapegoat to get out of our responsibility of being the kind of people we need to be with these challenges in front of us. We need to be up for facing the challenges that are in front of us. We need to be okay with that. Um, we need to be comfortable in our own skin. We need to be comfortable with our testimony. We need to be comfortable with spiritual warfare. We need to be comfortable. We need to be okay with that. Uh, uh, we need to be uh, ready uh, to, to give account for the, the, the life that you and I live. We need to be ready for that. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's go time, right? It's go time right now. This is the time. And so, this, it, you know, I, I look at the, the words, you know, in, in the, the God has spoken, and I realize that I was chosen for a day such as this. This is, this is the day I was chosen for. Yes, I would have rather, I have different eras picked out that I would have liked to have maybe lived in, but I wasn't chosen for any of those. I was chosen for this one. You were chosen for this one. And with that, as I draw breath, we also draw purpose. You draw breath, you also draw purpose. So there's a reason why you're here. Not just, not, not some movie-themed idea of purpose. I'm talking about the purposes of God. And that there is a reason why I was chosen for this day and this hour and this time. And it was to do something for God. Now that could be as small as being faithful to my own little church. And just making sure that I do everything I can to be a witness to people in my small community, in my small town, in my small workplace. Maybe, maybe... That is the call that God has put on my life. Maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe it goes farther. Maybe it goes larger. Um, maybe you're on a television or maybe you're over, you know, on the radio or maybe there's more eyes on you. Maybe you got a channel or, or you know, on YouTube or whatever. But I have a calling to, to live the most accurate life I possibly can for the God that I represent. Amen. And it's a spiritual challenge right now. It's a spiritual challenge. There are some things that we need. I'm not going to tell you what that is at this moment. I, th I think I'm going to be able to get to it right here at the end of this first lesson. There are some things that you and I need um, in this. One in very particular, but I'm going to keep moving. He was personally moved by the vision he was about to receive. The three weeks of mourning mentioned, and that's mourning, M-O-U-R-N, mourn, as in weepful, mournful, Mention was often associated with how people would lament the death of a loved one. Okay, so mourning. 
warning. What is what is important about that? Well, what's important about it is, is that we should be mourning today the condition of the world in sin. We should be mourning, not celebrating it. Mourning sin and the advancement of it. I, I, I look at it, and from what I can tell, it has become so much of the norm to deal with these type of things that it's even become comical to us. I'm with you. There are some things that's kind of comical to me. But the fact of it is, is that when your society becomes so steeped in sin that it literally slips off the cliff, that should be something to mourn about. I, I guess, well, let me say it like this. It should be sad. Yeah. It's sad. It really is sad. We're in a sad state. We're in a sad state as, as a nation. We're in a, I was just, the other day, was, they had the television on, and I'm looking at the commercials. And I'm looking at all of the things that they're putting in front of us now. And I'm like, my goodness. I mean, I can count how many times they have. I, I, I can, I'm counting them. Every commercial that comes on, they're, they're, going, they're trying to make a point. And it's not to sell their product. They got some other agenda. And I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, this is what it's come to. Right? I mean, this is, what, this is where we're at. And when you watch it initially, you want to laugh. Mm -hmm. I wanted to laugh. I was like, ha, 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 that's funny. Whoa. Hold on a second. I've become so desensitized to the way they present it that they present it as funny. But it's sin. Yeah. But it's sin. And so that's why our world is in the condition that, that we're in. It's because it's slipped and slipped and slipped and slipped. And even the Christians, even even we think it's funny. It's not, it's not something that's funny. It's meant to be mourned. Now, he was in mourning for three weeks, 21 days. Um, he, had, he was uh, on a, uh, a partial fast of, of, of nothing but vegetables. And, and, and to be quite honest with you, if you'll study it, um, they're not even 100% sure exactly why he was doing this. Um, they said could have been uh, the exiles returning home to, to set up the, get the temple going again. Uh, could have been a personal thing. We don't know. They don't really know why he was in a fast for 21 days. They just know that he was, and then something magnificent happened because he, he had been in prayer. Okay, so um, unsurprisingly, Daniel's morning was accompanied by intense and heartfelt prayer, of course. During this time, Daniel abstained from certain foods as well as some matters of personal care. He was consumed by the desire to intercede for God's people, that they would survive and fulfill God's purposes. Already, more than 42,000 people had returned to Jerusalem from exile and had reinstated worship at the site of the temple. And that's, that was in Ezra 2. Daniel may have heard, and that's may, we don't know for sure, he may have heard that construction on the temple had stopped in Ezra 4. Remember, that was there was a bit of a battle there to get that thing set back up. So it is easy to imagine why he was so fervent in his intercession. Um, I guess what I'm saying is, is, is that I'm not really wanting you to pay so much attention to the, the way it was done and how it was done or why it was done as much as it is the fact that, that people are willing to pay the price for something they believe in. They're willing to pay the price for something they believe in. If they believe it, then they follow it and they do it. Daniel believed in it and he was willing to pay the price in order to support it with prayer, which I'm coming back to the thing that I said at the beginning, that is one of the most fundamental 
things that you can do for spiritual warfare is just being consistent in prayer. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be snot, slanging, yelling, screaming, fire, calling fire from heaven. It doesn't have to be that way. But I think because we are Pentecostal, that we think that's the way it's supposed to go down when, when you mean business. No, the majority of it's done in prayer. Amen. The majority of it is done in prayer. Um, I was reading uh, of, of one of the one of the men that had spent quite a bit of time exercising demons and casting demons out of people, and he said, "You know, I've I've come to learn that the majority of the time, demons leave total possession. Demons leave with no sound whatsoever. They're just delivered." He said, "There's been this." This idea that people got to be flopping on the ground and foaming at the mouth and, and all kinds of wild stuff in order to actually get a demon out. He said, that's not true. Yeah. He's like, like 90% of the time that never happens. He's like, it's like in silence. It just delivered. Victory. All of a sudden they got victory. It left. Amen. It was like, <clears throat> did that change your perception a little bit? Kind of what, what are you shooting for? You know, are we shooting for foaming at the mouth or are we just shooting to follow whatever God wants us to do? Yeah. You follow the Holy Spirit, great things happen. But see, that's the thing is that I think, I think our idea of spiritual warfare is not on par with the majority of spiritual warfare actually is. Uh -huh. Actual spiritual warfare is being consistent in prayer, in battle, praying for each other. Right? Amen. Praying for each other. Think about that battle tactic. <laughs> think, think about think about supporting your your brother or sister whoever is fighting a, a serious war supporting them in in prayer and and interceding for them he says here that he was in intercession well i don't have time to really track it down but intercession is not ordinary prayer and ordinary prayer is not intercession i want to say that right off the bat but i think it would do us all some good to spend some time in some intercessory prayer Amen. I think it might be a good thing. I got to get going, guys. I'm sorry. Let's keep moving. I'm almost out of time, believe it or not. Daniel 10.4 provides the date and place of this vision. April 23rd, which was the 24th day of the month of the Hebrew lunar calendar. So knowing that this was Cyrus's third year, we can derive that this happened on April 23rd, 536 BC, on the bank of the Tigris River away from the city of Babylon in what is now southeastern Iraq. What, how about dates and locations? That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Suddenly a man appeared. But this man was more than a human being. Clothed in white linen, a sign of purity, he shone with a luminous glow of a precious stone, which they, we called, in the King James Version, Sean read it, Beryl, was a stone of aquamarine color. The angel's appearance indicates great power. Here's the power again, and the indication of power, right? Because power means something, correct? Amen. Now keep in mind, we don't have, at this point in time, we don't have a risen Savior yet. we got 536 B.C. We're 500 years before the risen Savior, before power has been passed on to the church. So in order for power to be seen, he would show it certain ways. So he shows it through an angel. And you can see here kind of the way, it, the effect that it has on him, uh, where that power is coming from. Adding to the drama of the moment, we learned that while Daniel was not alone, only he could see the vision. Others sensed that something incredible was going on and they fled in fear, <laughs> leaving Daniel alone in the presence of the angel. Such an experience left him weak and pale. We live in the natural world, but we must seek to perceive the spiritual world as well. 
This becomes important as the Spirit of God moves in our lives, directing and empowering us. Okay, what do you know? We said this, we're saying the Spirit of God, but what do we actually, and I'm not trying to correct the lesson here. I'm just saying for the sake of us understanding. I'm not just saying it's the Spirit of God. Who is it? It's the Holy Spirit. Let's be clear of who it is that's doing the work in us in this day and time. Amen. It's the Holy Spirit. So it says this becomes as the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit's moves in our lives directing and empowering us um okay i'll just keep going but this dual residency of the material and supernatural worlds also reminds us that there are spiritual battles happening all around us okay so do we agree with that there are spiritual battles happening all, all around us okay around us let me give you another angle here in us come on mental physical spiritual spiritual warfare mental Physical, spiritual, okay. So, do we agree that that there's this um, there's this warfare going on, and you can sense it, you can feel it, you know something's going on, and it demands attention. But the problem is, is that the church is not responding to the the high demand of spiritual warfare. I think I think I'm following. I'm I'm personally going to tell you, I'm falling short in this. There's a spiritual attack that's going on, and it's kind of like um, kind of like in stores, like you have supply and demand. Okay, we have X amount of, de- uh, there's a demand for a product. That means that you bring more of the supply in to meet the demand, supply and demand. It is the same exact way in your prayer life and spiritual warfare, supply and demand. I got a high demand because of, of uh, spiritual strongholds and attack of the enemy on this side, which means I need a high demand of prayer to counteract what the enemy's doing this leads me back to what the, the lord had spoke to me uh, a couple weeks ago and he showed me he said there's not enough prayer to match what the enemy is doing come on amen yeah. it's not enough letting me know you need to step up the prayer and get into some intercessory prayer so we can meet the demand of what the enemy's doing because he's Remember, we said he's, he's got some armies marching, and they're kind of having their way. How many of you feel like, how do I say this? How do you, do you, do you ever feel like you're abused spiritually? Like, like abused. Uh-huh. Like you feel like, you're like, man, this stuff keeps going and going and going on and going on and going beat on. Up. It's like you're just beat up. Yeah. Beat up would be a way to put it. Yeah. Well, brother, uh, it's not strange to me that you have uh, started it off with uh, the enemy marching right yeah uh because look what they're doing over at ukraine right yeah that's a good point 150,000 soldiers gathering with uh, all the material that they've got to fight with right on the line mm-hmm. and uh they can take it anytime yeah it's a, it's a big issue absolutely they can take it anytime with that with that kind of an army they can take it anytime absolutely so, so people's gonna have to start praying because that's the kind of army that's against the church. That's right. That's right. That's a, that's a good point. Um, so, so we got these spiritual battles going on. We got, and I said, and I'm fixing to have to close this thing, but I, I need to make this point. Uh, we got battles going on around us. We got mental battles. We got physical battles. We got spiritual battles. Uh, we got all these things that are going on around, on around us. So, so let me call you to one point that I want to make before we close. I don't know, maybe the Lord will let me bring this back tonight because there's still so much material that we need to cover. But I want, I want to say this in closing. This is kind of going to seem like a weird way to close, but I, I need to say this because 
Spiritual warfare is what it is. It's spiritual warfare. It is in the title. <laughs> spiritual warfare. It's a spiritual matter that has war, uh, warfare ramifications. Now I'm going to say it. But you listen to me very carefully. There are spiritual warfare. There are things that are going on in your life right now that are spiritual warfare. Uh -huh. One of the things the church needs right now that you need to be asking for is discernment. Yeah. You need discernment. You need discernment in this day and time to be able to decipher good from bad, <laughs> right from wrong, real fiction. You need discernment. Now I'm going to say this, and we're going to close. Some of you are not in a spiritual battle. <laughs> that seems kind of crazy to say, right? You're going to close with that? <laughs> Some of you are not in a spiritual battle. This is why it takes discernment. Some of you are just dealing with issues of life. Some of you are dealing with what I call an indirect issue, uh -huh. meaning you got somebody in your life that's doing some things they shouldn't be doing, and it's causing havoc in your life. That doesn't necessarily mean spiritual warfare. That's called bad decision making. Yeah. That's, called, that's called the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. And so there's a lot in that, and I, maybe I'll get a chance to bring it out tonight, but there's a lot in being able to discern actual spiritual warfare and then doing something about it. And then also, when it's not a spiritual battle, being able to make the right decisions to keep yourself away from that stuff. All right, I'm out of time, guys. God bless you. Thank you.